Church, if you will, open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. We've read this passage several times now over the past few weeks. I hope that it is, uh, it is etching its place, its rightful place in your minds and in your hearts I'm going to invite you to stand as we read this passage of Scripture. I'll read, you follow along, and you're a copy of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Romans 3, 21 through 26 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of God for his church today. You may be seated. The title of our message today is Saving Righteousness Applied. Saving Righteousness Applied. Those verses we just read are described by one theologian as, quote, possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. I have to say that I agree with him. I agree with him. For a couple of weeks now, we have been diving deep into the riches of this passage of God's Word. When we we began this series entitled The the Greatest News, I started with verses 19 through 20, the the two verses before what I just read. And, And in verses 19 through 20, we learned that saving righteousness is needed. It's needed by all because no one can be justified before God by works of the law. And then we studied verses 21 and 22, and we saw that saving righteousness has been revealed. And it's been revealed very specifically through the person of Jesus Christ. And then we studied verses 23 through 26 last week, and we saw that saving righteousness is explained ultimately in the death of Jesus. God can count sinners righteous by giving them righteousness as a free gift of grace. And He can give righteousness as a free gift of grace because Jesus died in our place. Just as a reminder of where we were last week because it flows right into what we're going to talk about today. Remember those three things that we learned in verses 23 through 26 about the death of Jesus. When Jesus died, He paid the price to free us from our sin. That's that word redemption that you see there in this passage. When He died, Jesus satisfied God's wrath towards our sin. That's that word propitiation that you see there. And then thirdly, when He died, Jesus displayed God's righteousness in forgiving sin. And that's that word show or, or declare or demonstrate that you see. The question now then before us is this. That's how God can give us a free gift of righteousness. It's because Jesus died in our place. He paid the price, therefore it can be free. The question is, how do I gain this righteous standing before God through Jesus Christ? Like, how, how does that happen? How can I go from not being righteous before God to being righteous before God? In verses 21 through 26, there is a word that's repeated three times in its noun form, that is, as a thing, 
and once in its verb form, that is, as an action, and that word answers this question. It is the word translated faith or believe. Now, in the Greek, the noun and the verb sound almost exactly the same as what our English translations translate as faith and believe. Those sound like two different words, faith and believe. Different letters, they sound different. In, in the original language, that's the same word. Just one is a, a noun, that's something, and one is a verb, or something you do, an action. For instance, I could use the noun form and say, I have faith that it is going to snow next week. I have faith that it is going to snow next week. Now, not really, okay, I'm just saying, I, I could say that. I have faith. So that, that would be the noun form. Or I could use the verb form and I could say, I believe it is going to snow next week. That's the action. But in the original language, it's the same word, same word. And it's highlighted here, this repetition of the word, not only in this passage, but throughout the entire letter of the book of Romans. We see this word faith or believe used over and over and over. So back to the question, how do I gain this righteousness of God based upon God's grace in Christ Jesus? How do I gain this free gift of salvation? It is through faith. Notice the word faith and the word believe in verse 22. We see it twice there in verse 22. Then look at verse 25. You'll see the word faith again. And then notice the word faith again in verse 26. Church, faith is the channel through which God's grace flows to count us righteous. Grace is the channel through which God's grace flows to count us righteous. We briefly looked at this word faith a couple of weeks ago, and I think I've mentioned it each week in this series. It's hard to preach the gospel without mentioning faith. But I've intentionally held off discussing it in detail because I wanted to devote an entire sermon to this aspect of salvation. Church, God has done the work of salvation. Jesus has died in our place. His blood has been poured out for our sin. But Scripture is very clear that though Jesus is the Savior of the world, every person in this world will not be saved. We say that one more time. Though Jesus is the Savior of the world, for the world, not every person in the world will be saved. The blood of Jesus is only applied to the lives of those who place their faith in Him. And because it is only through the blood of Jesus that sinners are counted righteous in God's sight, then we can say with confidence that saving righteousness is only applied to the lives of those who place their faith in Jesus. In other words, faith alone is the channel through which God's grace flows to count us righteous. Now, I want to be clear up front, and I'll get to this again a little bit later, but I want to, I want to be clear. Faith itself is not what saves us. Just faith. Just faith by itself. God's grace is what saves us. The death of Jesus in our place is what saves us. But that grace, that cleansing blood, flows into our lives through faith. Think about it this way. If your house is on fire, what does your house desperately need? It needs water, right? If your house is on fire, your, your, your house desperately needs water. Now let's say there's a fire hydrant across the street. Inside that fire hydrant is all the water you need for your house to be saved. But the way it gets to your house is through the fire hose on the fire truck. Now, it's not the fire hose which puts out the fire. You don't throw a bunch of fire hoses on a house and it puts the fire out. Fire hose is not what puts the fire, fire out. But it is the channel through which the water, which can save your house, flows to save your house. And that's what I mean by saying faith is a channel through which God's saving grace flows into our lives. Our hope is not in our faith. 
Our hope is in the grace of God, which is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But faith is necessary because that is the way God has designed his grace to be applied to our lives. Now, with that being said, you're going to hear me say throughout this sermon, and you've said it before, and I'll continue to say this. We say saving faith. You need to have saving faith. But understand that what I mean by that is not that the faith itself saves, but it is the kind of faith through which the grace of God can flow into our lives, which you would call saving faith. It would be like saying, this is the saving fire hose. Now, I'm wrong by that if I mean that the fire hose by itself saved the house. But when I say this is the saving fire hose, if by that I mean this is the fire hose that was used to project the water onto the house, then it will be right to say, this is the one. This is, this is the saving fire hose. This is the one. That's what we mean by saving faith. Saving faith means the type of faith through which God's grace flows into our lives to save us. Now, I want to unpack this saving faith. Now, I want to do it in question and answer form, okay? I want, to, I want to ask five questions and then give you five statements, which I pray will help us have a clear understanding of saving faith. So five questions leading to five statements. The first question is this, very basic. What is faith that saves? What is faith that saves? Church, saving faith is completely depending upon Jesus to provide for your salvation. That is what saving faith is. That's the type of faith that saves. The faith in which you are completely depending upon God's saving grace upon Jesus, God's grace through Jesus to provide for your salvation. You are completely depending upon Him. See, when you place your faith in someone or something, you are depending upon that someone or something to deliver upon His or her or its promises. For instance, when I get in my car and I push the gas pedal, I have faith that it will deliver on its unspoken promise to go when I push the gas pedal. When a deer jumps out in front of me, I press the brake pedal in faith. I have faith that it will deliver on its unspoken promise, written promise in the owner's manual, that when I press the brake, it's going to stop. And in that moment, I am completely dependent upon the brake pedal to deliver on its promise. Saving faith means you believe God will deliver on his promise to save everyone who believes in Jesus because Jesus died in our place. And so you're de com uh, depending completely upon Jesus. Now, when we speak of faith which allows God's grace to flow into our lives, we mean this complete dependence upon God's grace to save. And that's an opposite uh, view than a works-based salvation. When I believe my works can earn me a righteous standing before God, then I am depending upon my works to save me. I'm really depending upon me. My faith is in me and my ability. Saving faith is the opposite of this. Because when I have saving faith, it is a declaration that I can't earn my salvation. When I, when I depend completely upon Jesus, I'm saying I can't do it. And that's why I'm throwing myself upon Christ, depending upon Him, because I trust God's promise to save everyone who believes in Jesus for salvation. Paul says in verse 22, notice verse 22, he says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Through faith for all who believe. I love how the missionary known as Bruchko explained faith to a certain tribe in the jungles of the country of Colombia. 
He was trying to translate the word faith into their language, but he was having trouble finding a word in their language, the language of this tribe, to, to, uh, to say faith. How do, you, how, do, how do I explain this faith to these people? One night he was observing how this group of people slept, and he noticed that their hammocks, which were sometimes hung well above the ground floor of their huts, were tied with specially tied knots. And he was amazed at how soundly they slept while being suspended so far above the ground. I mean, they were out, sleeping like babies, as we would say. And yet, man, that was that looked like a dangerous, uh, dangerous situation. When he questioned one of them about this and said, how, how do you do this? How do you sleep this way? The man replied that he slept soundly because he was, and he used a word in their language, tied in to that hammock through that special knot. He was tied in. Because he was tied in, he wasn't fearful. He, in other words, he slept soundly because he trusted that knot to keep his hammock from falling to the ground. When he climbed into that hammock at night, he was completely dependent upon that knot being tied in to deliver on its promise to keep him from falling to the ground. As Bruchko listened, he knew in that moment that he had found a way to explain saving faith to this people. They needed in their language, to tie in to Jesus for the salvation of their souls. In other words, they needed to rest completely in the finished work of Jesus to keep them from falling to the wrath of the righteous God before whom they would stand one day. So my question for us today is, friend, have you tied in to Jesus? I don't mean sleeping with one foot on the ground, kind of trusting in Jesus, but kind of trusting in your own ability to save you. Have you tied completely in to Christ? Are you completely depending upon Jesus to save you? Are you trusting God's promise to forgive and count righteous all who believe in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus today or are you depending upon someone or something else to give you a right standing before God? If so, that's... That's not saving faith. It might be faith, but it's not saving faith. The next question I want to ask is really a part of the first question, but it's so important that I want to emphasize it with a second question. So question number two is this. What is the object of saving faith? What is the object of saving faith? So so saving faith, complete dependence. Complete dependence. What then is the object of that saving faith? And it is this. Jesus Christ is the only object of saving faith. Now, very clear. Very clear in God's Word. Jesus Christ is the only object of saving faith. Listen, lots of people in our world have faith. Arguably, every person in our world has faith. But not all of those people will be saved. Some people have faith, for instance, that God does not exist. Some people have faith that there are many gods. Some people have faith that their good works will earn them a right standing with God. But none of those examples are examples of faith that will save. Why? It's not because those who believe those things aren't sincere enough in their beliefs. The sincerity of our faith is not what saves. It is the object in which our faith is placed which saves. The problem with those examples I just gave of, of faith is that their faith is in something which cannot save. So the problem isn't that their, their faith is bad, it's that their faith is in an object that cannot save them. 
See, faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. I can have faith that if I jump off this stage right now and flap my arms, that I'll fly. I can truly believe that. I really can. I can believe that if I jump off this stage and I flap my arms, that I am going to fly. My faith might be real faith. Like, I truly believe. It's going to be a real faith. Like, I, 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 I believe that that's going to happen. But my arms are not really wings, right? I might have real faith, but I don't have real wings. My faith will not result in me flying because the object of my faith, that is my arms, I'm placing my faith in my arms, cannot produce flight. Church, faith will only result in salvation if the object of our faith can produce salvation, is able to save. For the past two weeks, we've seen the Apostle Paul build a case for Jesus being the only one who is able to save. Only Jesus is God's revelation of saving righteousness to the world. Only Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Only Jesus has satisfied God's wrath toward our sin. Only Jesus has displayed the righteousness of God in justifying sinners. Only Jesus can save. And so only faith in Jesus can be described as saving faith. In verse 22 and verse 26, we see God's word clearly say that saving righteousness flows into our lives. Notice the words, through faith in Jesus. Not just faith, but faith in Jesus. The atheist's faith is in his or her own ability to provide an explanation for life in which God is completely absent. The polytheist, that's somebody who believes in many gods. That person's faith is in the wisdom of whoever invented that particular branch of polytheism. The person trying to earn salvation has placed his or her faith in his or her own ability to keep the commands of God. The problem is that those are all faulty objects of faith. Those things, those people are powerless to rescue sinners from the wrath of the holy God. But as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power. The gospel, that greatest news, that message of Jesus dying in our place, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everything else is powerless to save. There's a popular phrase in our society, which I hate. I hate this phrase. It's the phrase, a person of faith or people of faith. I I hate it. I hate that phrase because it means absolutely nothing. All it reveals is that that person or those people are human beings. Because every human being is a person of faith. We all believe something. Anytime someone says, I'm a person of faith, we ought to immediately respond, faith in what? Or faith in who? Why? Because the object of faith determines the effectiveness of that faith, the value of that faith. That phrase is so dangerous because it gives the appearance of salvation with no indication as to the substance underneath that faith. No indication as to the object of that faith. Friends, you can have a fire hose and it can be the best fire hose on the market, but if the substance flowing through that hose is gasoline or kerosene or oil or lighter fluid, that house is not going to be saved. Friends, you can say you are a person of faith all day long, but that faith 
It's going to take you straight to hell if it is not faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's why we don't call ourselves here simply a community of faith. We call ourselves a church who believes in Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. We must always be clear, especially in our society that thinks there's just all sorts of ways that you can be saved. We must always be clear when we speak about our beliefs or our faith, when we preach about our faith, when we sing about our faith, when we seek to to persuade others to join us in our faith. We have to be crystal clear that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the sole object of our faith. Why? Why? Because Jesus Christ is the only object of saving faith. You can believe in all sorts of things, but there's only one that will save, and that is Jesus. Question number three. Question number three. Why is faith the way we are saved? Why is faith the way we are saved? We've said that faith is completely dependent depending upon Jesus to save, said that Jesus must be the object in which we are completely depending upon. Right? He is the one. He's the only one. But why? Why is it through faith? Well, here's the reason. Because salvation is a gift to be received by faith, not a wage to be earned by works. Salvation is a gift to be received by faith, not a wage to be earned by works. This is where, this is where we, we, we see that grace and faith cannot be divided from one another. This is where we connect the dots from, from, from last week's sermon where we focused on God's grace to this week's sermon where we're focusing on our faith. Remember, at the heart of Paul's purpose in this part of the letter is to explain that saving righteousness does not come by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason it comes to us through faith and not through works is that salvation is a gift and not a wage. A wage must be earned. A gift must be received. In verses 24 and 25, Paul explains that saving righteousness is a gift of God's grace made possible through the death of Jesus in our place. And because it is a gift, he says this in verse 25. Notice this, verse 25. He says, so, it's so clear. The gospel is not up for question or up for debate. He says in verse 25, it is to be received by faith. In context, to receive by faith is the opposite of working to earn. We don't earn salvation, we receive it, and the way we receive it is through faith in Jesus. Now, some people try to form their own combination of these two. Kind of like if we put half of our body in that hammock and half on the floor. Some kind of combination of faith and works. They say that salvation is partly by grace through faith and partly through our good works. They may or may not say it verbatim like that, but that is essentially what they believe. For instance, if you ask someone who is devoted to the teachings of the Catholic Church whether or not someone has to believe in Jesus to go to heaven one day, they would say, absolutely, of course you have to believe in Jesus. However, their official teachings say that anyone who believes that salvation is through faith alone is cursed. Why? Well, because they actually don't believe that you must only place your faith in Jesus to be saved. They believe you have to do good works as well. You have to add good works to what Jesus did on the cross. They try to combine faith and good works as the channel through which God's salvation flows. But friends, salvation is either, 
either a wage to be earned or it is a gift to be received. It cannot be both. If I gave you a gift and then I told you, I need you to pay me back for half of that gift. Would it really be a gift? No. That would be a horrible, I'd be a horrible gift giver, right? You never want to receive a gift from me again. Because it's not really a gift. I lied to you by telling you it was a gift. Friends, God does not lie. If he says that salvation is a gift, then it's a gift. It's by grace. And we don't have to do anything to earn it. Which means that any attempt to earn salvation is not adding to what Jesus did. It is rejecting God's gift of salvation. Any addition to what Jesus did on the cross is a rejection of what Jesus did to accomplish our salvation. When he was on the cross, I was talking with a Jehovah's Witness one day and I asked him if he believed that Jesus died for his sins. And he said he did. And then I asked him if he believed that he had to do good works in order to go to heaven one day. And he said that he did. That man was 100% right when it came to the teachings of Jehovah's Witness. But he was 100% wrong when it came to the truth revealed in God's word regarding how to be counted righteous before God. And in that moment, my heart broke for him. I I told him that Jesus' death on the cross was enough. He didn't have to try to add to what Jesus had done. Instead, he just needed to place his faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He needed to understand that salvation is free, just like God's Word says it is, and it's free because Jesus paid for all of our sin. You know, there are some things in life that are supposed to be free, and they end up not really being free. Like recently, some dear friends of ours gave my kids some used toys. And, uh, and these friends are so nice, they didn't charge us anything for these toys. These toys were a gift. The only problem is that these toys need some parts in order to work. And those parts cost money. And so uh, the free gift didn't turn out to be actually free in the end. Now, hear me clearly. I'm very thankful for those not completely free gifts. Because I will still end up spending way less on the parts to make them work than I would if I had to, had to buy a brand new. But I want you to know that salvation is not that kind of free gift. It's the kind of free that is completely free. You don't have to add anything to it to make it work. You don't have to add your own effort to finish paying for this gift. If Jesus didn't pay for all your sin, if Jesus didn't finish the work, then you or someone would have to finish what Jesus started. But Jesus didn't satisfy some of God's wrath. He satisfied all of God's wrath. Jesus didn't pay part of the redemption price. He paid all of the redemption price. Listen, Jesus didn't cry out from the cross, it's almost finished. No, He cried out, it is finished. So when we try to add good works to our faith, we are saying that Jesus did not fully accomplish our salvation, but Jesus said He did. Which means we are rejecting what Jesus did on the cross if we try to combine good works with faith. It's the way in which salvation flows into our lives. Faith alone brings salvation because salvation is a gift to be earned. Excuse me, a gift to be received, not a wage to be earned. Question number four. Question number four. Has God always saved people through faith? Has God always saved people through faith? Perhaps someone would argue, well, you know, maybe they're there. I think there was a time when salvation wasn't through faith. So how can you just be so sure that, that faith is the only way to be saved now? If at some time in the past, God, God did save people through faith. 
Has God always saved people through faith? Church, faith has always been the channel through which salvation has flowed. Faith has always been the channel through which salvation has flowed. Have you ever wondered how people before Jesus were saved from their sin? I don't mean before Jesus existed. Jesus has always existed as the Son of God. But before Jesus came, right? Before, before the Holy Spirit uh, caused Mary to conceive in her womb this Son of God uh, come to earth, and He was born and He grew up. What about, what about all the people that lived and died before that? I mean, weren't some of those folks saved? I mean, aren't we going to see some of those folks in heaven one day? Yeah, absolutely. Well, how in the world were they saved from their sin? It may seem that people were saved through the law before Jesus came. Whereas now, people are saved through faith in Jesus. But that's not the case. In fact, anyone who has ever been saved or will ever be saved is saved through faith. Maybe you say, well, the Old Testament believers were saved through their their work of sacrificing animals. They had to do this good work of sacrificing animals. But we're saved through uh, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so that's different. No, that's not true either. The truth is that anyone who has ever been saved or will ever be saved is saved through the death of Jesus in their place. Now, if you'll recall that last week we said that one of the things Jesus was doing when he died on the cross was displaying the righteousness of God. We skipped some words there in verses 25 and 26 last week because we're going to talk about those today. Now, it would appear appear that God is not righteous if he lets sin go unpunished. And for many, many years, that is exactly what he did. He let Abraham's sin go unpunished. He let Joseph's sin go unpunished. He let Moses' sin go unpunished. He let David's sin go unpunished. He let Isaiah's sin go unpunished. Now, they did offer animal sacrifices for sin, you may say. Yes, they did. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that animal sacrifices actually cannot atone for sin. They can't. They were a picture of what was coming, but those sacrifices didn't actually atone for sin. That sin still had to be paid for. And so it appeared that God was letting their sin go unpunished by welcoming them into his presence. And he was letting their sin go unpunished, but only temporarily. Only temporarily. He was letting those Old Testament saints' sins go unpunished until he poured out the punishment for their sin upon Jesus when he died on the cross. He was storing up his wrath for that moment when he poured it out upon his son. Therefore, when Jesus died upon the cross, he was displaying that God was actually righteous. He was actually righteous in what verse 25 calls passing over former sins. You see that there in the text? Verse 25, passing over former sins. Verse 25 says this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that means he kind of held off. He, he, He showed divine forbearance. He held off in punishing sin even though it deserved to be punished, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He had kind of overlooked them temporarily. In other words, God didn't punish those in the Old Testament who will be in heaven with him one day because he was looking ahead to that moment in the future, which is now history for us, when he would punish his son instead of them. 
They were saved by God's grace through the blood of Jesus, just as we are saved by God's grace through the blood of Jesus. The substance of their salvation was the same as ours. So then we ask, how then did that saving grace get applied to their lives? The answer is the same way that saving grace gets applied to our lives today. Through faith. Through faith. The only difference, the only difference between us today on this side of the cross, the Old Testament believers on that side of the cross, the only difference is that their faith was in the promise of God to provide salvation sometime in the future through a coming Messiah. Whereas our faith is in the promise of God to provide salvation, to save sinners through the salvation that he has already provided through the Messiah who has already come, whose name is Jesus. In other words, they were saved through a faith which was looking forward to a coming salvation. We are saved through a faith which looks, looks back to a salvation that has already come. They had clues as to how this would happen. We don't just have clues, church. For now we know in full what was once only partially revealed. Namely, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. That He is the Lamb of God. That He is the redemption purchaser. That He is the wrath satisfier. That He is the saving righteousness of God on display for all who have eyes of faith to see point I want us to see is that salvation has always been through faith. Now, Paul's going to go into detail concerning this defense of salvation through faith alone in chapter 4. I would encourage you this week, spend some time finishing out chapter 3 and then reading chapter 4. There, in chapter 4, Paul puts Abraham forward as an example of salvation through faith. Abraham, Old Testament, long before Jesus showed up here on this earth. And Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, and Paul's going to quote this in Romans chapter 4, but in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, we learn this. Abraham believed God, Scripture says, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God did not count Abraham's good works as righteousness. He counted Abraham's faith in the promises of God, which would be one day fulfilled in the coming Messiah. He counted that faith in God's promises as his righteousness. Friends, no one has ever been saved apart from faith. And no one will ever be saved apart from faith. In verse 25, Paul looked back to the time before Jesus and said that Jesus' death displayed God's righteousness in passing over former sins. And then look at verse 26. In verse 26, he looks to the present. A present that was the present when he was writing this, and it's a present which continues until today. And he says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So don't try to be saved apart from faith. It has never worked, nor will it ever work. Faith has always been the channel through which God's saving grace has flowed. And my desire throughout this sermon, church, and this is what I've prayed for leading up to this, this time here today. My desire has been to persuade you from God's Word the importance of placing your faith in Jesus Christ. 
I want you to completely depend upon Jesus for your salvation. I want Jesus to be the object of your faith. I want you to receive God's gift of salvation through faith because it is a gift to be received, not a wage to be earned. I want you to join with all those men and women since the beginning of time who have believed in the promises of God and who have been counted righteous by God through their faith. Friends, this is the greatest news in all the world. Salvation is completely free. The price has been completely paid by Jesus. You don't have to add anything to it. You just need to receive it through faith. Faith in Jesus. I want to close with a final question. I want to close with a final question. When it comes to understanding saving faith. The church is this. Who will be saved through faith in Jesus? Who will God save through faith in Jesus? Perhaps you sit there and you say, well, that probably works for some people, but not sure that will work for me. Church, I want to close with this good news. (laughs) This good news. The answer to that question, who will be saved through faith in Jesus, is this. Everyone, everyone who has faith in Jesus will be saved. Everyone who has faith in Jesus will be saved. Notice verse 22. It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Perhaps you say, Pastor, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, I'm kind of bad, but I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not sure I need to place my faith in Jesus. That sounds like it's for people who have really made a mess of their lives and their kind of last-ditch effort is Jesus. If that's you, please listen closely to me. The fires of hell will be full of people who thought they were too good to need to cast themselves in desperate faith upon the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. I don't care how good you may think you are, you need to humbly acknowledge your utter helplessness apart from the saving grace of God. And you need to place your faith in Jesus alone for salvation. The truth, the truth that everyone who has faith in Jesus will be saved implies that everyone who does not have faith in Jesus will not be saved. Or, Or perhaps you say this. Perhaps you say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. There is no way, there is no way I I could be saved just by trusting in Jesus to do it. There's no way God would accept me just as I am in my sin. Certainly I need to clean up my life some before God could ever save me you know you know do some good works clean my life up a little bit do some good things get rid of some of the bad things and then and then i could come to god and receive this gift of salvation if that's you please listen closely you are right in a sense god will not accept you just as you are in your sin if you stand before god one day and all you have is your sin there He will not be able to accept you. 
But he will accept you if you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And friends, the good news of the gospel is that the way you become clothed in the righteousness of Jesus is to come to Jesus just as you are and place your faith in him and let him do the work of cleaning up your life and the mess that you've made of it. You don't have to clean up your life before you place your faith in Jesus because the truth is you can't and I can't. But God has provided a way for sinners like you and me to be counted righteous. And that way is not by cleaning up your own life. That way is by believing that Jesus has already done that beautiful cleansing work for you when He poured His blood out on Calvary's cross. If you think you're too good to place your faith in Jesus, then you underestimate the holiness of God and the depth of your sin. And if you think you are too bad to place your faith in Jesus, then you underestimate the love of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So friends, regardless of the excuse that you might be tempted to make today, don't let any excuse keep you from Jesus Cast yourself upon Jesus. Tie in to Jesus. Give up on any attempt at earning your salvation. Completely depend upon Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus alone today. If I could do it for you, I would, but I can't. Something only you can do. Only you can place your faith in Jesus. I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. Friends, the good news is that everyone who has faith in Jesus, will be saved. Jesus is our only hope in life and in death. And so will you believe in Him today if you have never done so? Would you pray with me, Father? Your Word cannot be clearer. God, it cannot be clearer. That no one deserves salvation. No one can earn a right standing before You. But God, You have made a way. That way is Jesus through His blood on the cross. And You haven't left us wondering how to receive this gift. You have told us clearly. It is through faith and faith alone. In Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. God, so that You receive all the glory for our salvation. That You and You alone would receive it for all of eternity. God, my my request to You is this. Help every one of us to be obedient to Your Word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.